Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Support for today's show comes from Google Play. Did you know that now you can download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play? That's right. With hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte. There's no subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. And for a limited time, you get $10 off your first one by visiting g.co slash play slash book riot. That's g.co slash play slash book riot for $10 off your first audiobook. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play. This is the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 273. We're recording on Saturday, August 11th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. It is Saturday, August 11th. It's 7 a.m. here in Portland, Oregon. You are, man, you are awake. Yeah, this is my, uh, I'm like one eighth of 1% of Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam this morning. I mean, Rebecca and I were talking before this. I came in hot. I got coffee. had a donut. I got seven hours of sleep last night. The heat is broken. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling froggy. Feeling froggy. Is that, a, is that a phrase other people know? I picked this up from my roommate in college who's from uh, Parsons, Kansas, and he used it froggy, meaning frisky, you know, that... Oh. No, I think that's idiosyncratic usage or not. Mm, I think it is idiosyncratic usage. Mm-hmm. The only times I've heard froggy are, you know, like when you don't feel well and you're kind oh, of right. the froggy voice situation. But I like it. Like you're ready to hop. Yeah, I think that's except <laughs> in my in my experience of frogs, uh, the frogs just kind of sit around. Unless they really are agitated, right? So like, sit they, around and make some noise. Sit around and make some noise until Perfect. like you're you're in mortal danger, and then maybe one giant hop to get out of there, and that's it. So I don't know. If if this, exactly these, I mean, that. we're just sitting here making sounds this well, morning. Well, it's Jeff, true. So maybe you are feeling froggy. Yeah, like a bullfrog on a Kansas a Saturday nice, night. You had a nice donut. I made breakfast biscuits. Like we're just living the life today. It's it's a Saturday. It's kind of fun to get out of the normal routine every now and again after dark, early morning. One. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. We've got. It's you know. It's a slow. We're going to do some listener write-in stuff. Uh, slow. We. Th- this is the slowest week of the year. I mean, yep. mid-August. This is the slowest week of the year. Mm-hmm. Publishing, not a surprise. But there's still stuff to talk about. Sponsor? Sponsor me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sponsor you. All right. So our first sponsor this week is Temper by Nikki Drayden. Temper brings a thrilling blend of science fiction, horror, magic, and dark humor from the award-winning author of The Prey of Gods, which if you've spent any time around Book Riot, you heard a lot about The Prey of Gods last year. Aubin's six vices are branded on his arm for all the world to see, marking him as the lesser twin. But he won't let his vices define him, even as he's envious of his twin, whose single vice brand is a ticket to a better life, one that likely won't happen or involve Aubin. The twins' strained relationship threatens to snap when Aubin starts hearing voices that speak to his dangerous vices. Nikki Drayden's debut, The Prey of Gods, just won the 2018 Compton Crook Award. If you loved it or you're interested in Afrofuturism, this is a great place to start too. Nikki's novels take place in a world that's recognizable as South Africa, but they differ in fantastic ways. In temper, demons are known to get up to no good 
good during the time of year when temperatures dip and temptations rise. And a young man is hearing demonic voices that are urging him to give into his darkest vices, accompanied by inexplicable blood cravings. This book is about twin brothers who have been branded with bands on their arms. Each of them represents one of the seven vices. So Aubin, as you heard during the synopsis, he's the lesser twin. He's marked with six bands and his brother uh, Kasim has a single light scar, only one of the vices. The bands dictate their places in society for the rest of their lives. This is a standalone fantasy novel. Uh, so you don't need to have read The Prey of Gods to get into this. They're separate stories, but you should because Nikki Drayden's brain is a weird and wonderful place to spend time. So again, this is Temper by Nikki Drayden. It is out now from Harper Voyager. You can find it wherever books are sold or click the link in our show notes. Uh, let's do one newsy follow-up and then we'll do some listener uh, write-in follow-up that we asked for specific things. Some interesting stuff from listeners as always when we when we get to a mm-hmm. top 40 books. Uh, in the Great American Read were decided. So if, if you remember correctly, um, PBS's Great American Read, they started with 100. That was a combination of write-in votes and judges and other things. And then they asked the public to vote to narrow it down to the top 40. They said they got more than 2 million votes in the search for America's best love novel. And the, the, the list of the 40 is out. And it is about as predictable of a list as you could possibly imagine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we've seen that we just know from our own experience conducting big surveys like this, but especially from watching big open votes of things is, uh, when you open to public voting, especially when you're like PBS, uh, your, your votes are going to reflect, uh, the population that is participating, but also just the kinds of books that are popular in school assignments, like classics, things people read in school that they've been holding on to and thinking of, or like popular sort of really big pop culture moments or book club discussion books. So there's, you know, 1984, A Prayer for Owen Meany, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, uh, just skipping down the list, mm-hmm. Anne of Green Gables, The Book Thief, The Da Vinci Code, which I have to say, I'm happy to see Dan Brown yes. on the list. Um, um, Great Gatsby, The Handmaid's Tale, the Harry Potter series, Hunger Games, Lord of the Rings, Outlander, Pillars of the Earth, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Stand. These are listed in alphabetical order. Um, I would love to see them listed in the order of most votes. Oh, because... uh, we could do that. I mean, we could do the top five. I bet we oh, could yeah. figure it out, right? I mean, anyway. To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, Harry Potter. I mean, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, easy. Those are easy. Yeah. Uh, super White. One um, author of color, Alice Walker for the color purple. Is there another one that I'm missing? I don't think there's. I don't think there is anybody else. Um, Luckily, the help is on there. That's, yeah. that's great. Fantastic. You know, that was one that gave me pause because I think it's easy to feel in the publishing bubble and sort of the like, especially the like world of progressive mm-hmm. readers that the help has fallen out of favor, you this, know, this Roxanne, proves it hasn't <laughs> right. Like Roxane Gay wrote this wonderful essay that appeared in bad feminist that addresses both the book and the movie. Um, and that the note, like the presentation of racial awareness that happens in the help. And that was such like a feel good moment when the book came out, people really did love it. And I think wanted to see themselves in versions of it, Mm -hmm. um, has like that book would not do what it 
did then if it were published no. today. The way that we're thinking and talking about race and culture has really, really shifted um, for the better, I think. But this was an interesting reminder to me of like this little bubble that we're in of pro- like liberal progressive mm. publishing folks and the ways that we think about books um, aren't always representative or indicative of what's going on in like larger book culture or books people think about. Um, I also wondered seeing it there, like, is this a book, like, are people still buying the help? Well, or- that, this, I, have to, I was going to say, this is the one, that was the one on this list. That I, th- I think I found the most surprising, not that mm-hmm. I was surprised it was there, but I was like, really? The, I mean, of all the, like, like it wasn't an Oprah pick, but like the Oprah era paperback favorite, you know, the ones that are mm-hmm. still on the Barnes and Noble paperback favorite. I'm surprised that's the one. Well, am I surprised? I don't know. I guess I hadn't really like, thought about it. that. There would be this one that survived like the I last wonder, 15 years of paperback book club favorites. Yeah. I just wonder if it was like availability bias yeah. of thinking about, you know, a book that you read in the last decade that you had good feelings about at the time, like every book club in the world read the help. Um, I was a bookseller at the time that it came out and it was, you know, like you couldn't swing a cat without hitting a customer that was looking for the book. Everybody was talking about it. Um, there was of course the big movie adaptations. I just wondered like how it ended up there, like that it's, and I guess I'm baffled because it doesn't seem to me like a lot of people would be still seeking it out and reading it. It's not showing up on like the hundred best-selling books of the year Mm -hmm. lists anymore. Like, I don't think that there's a great long tail so it's got to be people that remember it and were thinking back to like, oh, that one was a favorite yeah. book of mine. I, I'm but. surprised it beat out like they're not the same genre, but they're kind of in the same, I don't know, mind share, I think, for me of commercial fiction that sold a bunch, especially to women, which most books do, but especially this kind like mm-hmm. um, The Girl on the Train or Gone Girl. I thought mm-hmm. I would have expected one of those two to be there more than this one, but you know, I was wrong. I don't know what well, to say about that. Well, you know, also based on sales alone, you should think Fifty Shades of Grey would show up on this yeah. list. I thought it but, might. I thought there was a chance it might, but it doesn't. It didn't. Yeah, I think there's still enough... Yeah. There's like when you're asked when you're being asked to vote for what the great American book is, mm-hmm. um, there that comes with some expectations, maybe and some social pressure about like, oh, I should pick a book that other people thought was great or that meet these imaginary criteria about good literature. Yeah, um, it's a bummer. To, I mean, in terms of, I'm not surprised by these, but I'm reminded again of a couple of these, like the Outlander series. That's oh, just yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a freight train. I mean, that thing mm-hmm. is a freight train and as I haven't read it and I know it sells, but every time I see it on a list like this, I'm like, Oh yeah. Um, I also thought that Agatha Christie that survived and then there were none. I like and then there were none. I would have thought one of them, I don't know, I guess murder on the Orient Express or the murder of Roger Ackroyd. This one's very popular as well. I don't know. Some of it is a little bit. There's a, there's there's like twelve like top shelf Agatha Christie ones mm-hmm. that people read, so they compete with them a little bit. Atlas Shrugged appeared there. You know the book thief. Talk about a book that's staying around. Like it's a modern. Uh-huh. It's a modern YA classic. I don't. Even, yep. There's nothing else to say about mm-hmm. it in terms of uh, mindshare. You know, forget literary quality or whatever else you want to do there. But in terms of mindshare, like the book thief is the YA book of the last twenty years. Yes, there's no. There's is. no getting around it. Uh, and, you know, happy to see some sci-fi and fantasy and yep. just weird stuff show up a little bit. Dune is on the list. Dune. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. My 13-year-old um, self is very happy and would totally have voted for that. 
<laughs> for Dune? Yeah. Uh, no, for Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, okay. I, I did like Dune at 13. With say, yeah, Guide. I was like, Bob listened to Dune on audio a year or two ago and said it was like the whatever production he listened to was just weird and wonderful and great. So if mm. you feel like going there, uh, we could... We could certainly talk about that. But yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide. I forget how popular that is. I think a lot of people have memories oh. from exactly the time period you're talking about. Yeah. Like teenage, like early teenage readings of the Hitchhiker's Guide. And If you're a 13-year-old nerdy person, boy, girl, whatever, mm-hmm. they should. Ju- this should just show up on your door on your 13th birthday. Like, it really, it really should. should just, it should show up like with like, uh, like with a, with a sex ed guide and a training bra and a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It should just be like a little nerd. Like, they, this is not going to go easily, but here are some books to help with this. Right. Take a deep breath. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all going to be fine. It's just going to be okay. It's like a puberty care package. It just really would be great. <laughs> it really would. You know, that sounds, it sounds pretty lovely. Yeah, I, like I it. I not too long ago was behind somebody in traffic with a personalized license plate that worked out to be Slarty Bartfast. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know how they managed to do it in wow. seven characters, but Bob and I were both like, respect. Yeah, respect. Yeah. I, I want to see the one that can fit on Zaphod Beeblebrocks on yeah, that vanity plate. That'll be good too. That's a, those are deep cuts for all you, uh, uh fruits out there. Um, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, Man. we're not going to cover this again until, is there going to be a top one like that's let's see so you can vote for your favorites like, through thursday october 18th and that's when voting closes and so i guess after oh there is a winner i'm sorry i'm skipping voting down. closes yeah there will be october a winner. 23rd will be revealed mm-hmm. in the final episode. the winner will be revealed in the final so do we want to stake some <sighs> guesses about the winner hmm well I'm going to do all Nate Silver and go probabilistically for you here. I could mm-hmm. give you, like, if you gave me three choices, I have a very high confidence that one of those three will be the winner. Do you want to do my three? I do. They're probably the same three, I would They guess. probably are. Um, I mean, I'm going To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. I'm going Harry Potter, and I'm going Pride and Prejudice. Those are my three. Okay. All right. I'm going To Kill a Mockingbird, Harry Potter, and The Great Gatsby. Yeah, so basically what you and I are saying is that the the Harry Potter people will vote for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, to kill like the high school readers. I mean, yep. I'm not saying that disparaging like they read this in high school, they read they love this book like they're going to pick that like the the the, mm-hmm. the fat middle of the commercial and literary fiction reading public. And then the the snobs or like not the, you know what I'm yeah. saying, but like the lit fic people. Yep. Um are going to Either go Gatsby or Pride and Prejudice. I could see that. Yep. I think that's where we're headed. I can see that too. I hope I'm surprised. I hope it's the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. You know what? I think would be, it's interesting the how, we've talked about this before on the show, about how adaptations uh, of classic works, you know, neither of us believe it hurts the the spinning Mm -hmm. molten core of the quality of the thing of the whatever. But I think the Gatsby Pride and Prejudice Face-Off is so interesting because Pride and Prejudice has a million adaptations and versions and recastings and uh, Mm -hmm. refractions. And the Gatsby's had, you got to do Gatsby. I mean, there's the Baz Luhrmann one, but it's still Gatsby. It's like not Gatsby in space or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's true. There's like the whole Austin verse, basically, of uh, Austin, but modern, but a detective. Mm -hmm. Austin, but 
some other flip, Austin from this perspective, contemporary novels inspired by Jane Austen. Yes. And the Gatsby thing is much narrower. Look, I have on my calendar, July, uh, June, uh, excuse me, January 1st, 2021, The Great Gatsby comes in the public domain, and my Nick Carraway solves Jazzy's crime series <laughs> is coming out. Watch for it. Oh, I've been holding out for the uh, shifted perspective yeah. novel. From oh, yeah. Their, Beautiful from Fool. I think Beautiful I did a, Fool. I did a, yeah, I did a, you I did. did a post mm-hmm. about that one time. I've been holding on that to that one for like the last seven years since we did yeah. that post. My Jeff. Nick Carraway, it's the, the debut novel is going to be called The West Egg Case, and it's going to be West Nick Carraway solving a murder. Uh, actually, yeah. Anyway, so there, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Do we want people? Do we care about what people think about this right now? I don't know. I don't I'm, feel like there's any surprises really no. on this list. If you have any theories about how the help ended up there, I guess yeah, I'm cool. librarians, booksellers, are people still coming and getting the help? Um, yeah. yeah it, if they either are, and we just are uh, ignorant of it, which is probably totally the possible, mo- probably the most case, or is it kind of a um, a shadow memory of the moment it had in the movie and people th- can think of it, you know, it has um, some, it's top of mind for whatever reason. Interesting. Know about there. Okay. Uh, you know what? Let's do another spot before we get into the, the listener feedback. The great course right. is plus. Yeah, take it away. Look, you're a nerd. I don't know what to tell you. You're <laughs> listening to this. You are, it's good. Embrace it. There's nothing wrong with that. That means you like things. You like to get deep into things. And there's so much to be gained by exploring the small details of extraordinary sources, stories. And with The Great Courses Plus, you can do just that. With The Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to learn about anything that interests you. There are thousands of fascinating lectures to stream on topics like history, literature, science, and how to draw, take bitter photos, or appreciate wine. I'm going to do the photo one. I've been wanting to take a photo class for a million years. I'm never going to get down to Portland Community College or whatever and take it on Tuesday nights. I'm going to try this one here. Or appreciate wine. I appreciate Ryan right now. I don't need a class. I'm not going to take that one, but you might. They're all presented by passionate, engaging experts, and you can watch or listen anytime, anywhere, with a great Courses Plus app. We recommend checking out the course, How Great Science Fiction Works, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It discusses mm-hmm. the history and evolution of science fiction from Frankenstein, which if you listen to Annotated, you know all about, all the way to, all the way to more modern fare, like um, uh, Christopher Nolan's movie Interstellar. Go across genres, go across media, not genres, go across mediums, go across time, um, different authors there. Be a good fit. You know, one thing I do, I, I do this. I don't know if other people do that there. I'll go on sort of a, a genre or a thematic binge. And one thing that would be fun to do is if you're on your sci- sci-fi binge this summer, listen along to the, how science fiction works as you're listening to several classic or contemporary science fiction uh, titles in a row. Or if you're a genre fan, you like the genre, it's one of your main genres. Did you take a sci-fi class? Probably not. Do you know the history of these books, the tropes and things that go with it? How great science fiction works would be a really great way to deepen your reading process. This is a perfect course to get started with or check out any of their fantastic lectures with our special offer. Get a free trial with unlimited access to enjoy their entire library at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. That's us. We're bookriot. That's greatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot to start your free trial now. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Okay, so you haven't read these, so I got I got to go back here. So let's, if you remember, um, we had several librarians write us about Tor's experiment to put what a, a moratorium, a waiting period, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, on ebooks 
being available uh, for libraries to to buy and lend. I guess you could buy them beforehand, but they can't actually lend until four months after the publication. So uh, I got. Se- I'm going to distill. Um, I'm going to s- distill several librarians' emails into sort of a Voltron version, where they're kind of combined here. So one thing that these librarians want us to remember, and rightly so. Um, librarians are charged a different price than most of us are for ebooks. They're not paying fourteen ninety nine for their copy of whatever ebook we're talking about, and we can read it for for a million years in a row. Um, for Macmillan and all of its imprints, libraries are charged sixty dollars a copy for the okay. ebooks, and need to rebuy the book every fifty two checkouts or twenty four months, whichever comes first. Okay. And uh, this one librarian says twenty four months almost always comes first. If a book circulates for three weeks and is always checked out. It will only circulate 34 times before the license expires. I hadn't thought about that wrinkle, mm. about mm-hmm. how long people actually hold the ebook before they have to return it. So, you know, a $3.99 tour original, libraries get charged 60 bucks, And they're only getting circulated 34 times. So really, if you, if you divide that 60 by 34, you know, it's not $3.99, but it's, it's half. Mm-hmm. It's half. Yeah. So it's not like – I thought that was a really interesting math moment um, to think that really on the per circulation title and assuming you equate one circ with one purchase, the library is basically selling it for them at half sticker, mm-hmm. um, which is what an independent bookstore essentially does on, does on hardcover titles, right? They get like yeah. a, a 40% discount, if not more, mm-hmm. off the cover price. So I thought that was interesting. Um so first, here's here's one I didn't know. First comparison. This is Jenny. Thank you so much, Jenny, for giving us this detailed information. Comparing to other big five. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, what do we call them? Publishers. This. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> the people I that work make the books, books for a living. Harper <laughs> Collins and all imprints. E pricing usually list price, and only have to rebuy every 26 checkouts. PRH and all imprints is usually around ninety dollars, but never okay. needs to be repurchased. Huh, Interesting. Okay. Simon and Schuster and all imprints is usually just under list, so twenty ish dollars, and we have to rebuy every twelve months. So, and print books are usually they can buy them for forty percent off list, just like a bookseller. Hmm. So, so that's really interesting. Any thoughts there, Rebecca? I have questions. Yeah, I thought Libra- so. Librarians, I want to know. Um, I, I guess first of all, I'm not surprised that every publisher does this. No, <laughs> right, yeah, shocking. <laughs> that seems about right mm-hmm. for publishing. But I wonder if, given all those differences, a book like your average, your book of average popularity, whatever that means, right? Um, if you get your book of average popularity, which of these setups is the one that you prefer, or that would be the best for your libraries? Is it cheaper up front, but you have to renew more often? Or is it pay one sticker price that's higher and never have to think about renewal? Like, Because um, going into that too is if you have to renew every 12 months, then you have to decide, do we still want this book in our yeah. catalog every 12 months? Whereas if you pay 90 bucks, but you never have to renew it, it's there forever. Um, you don't ever weed it out. So given the sort of weeding practices mm-hmm. or catalog management, whatever the official librarian terminology is that I don't know, how that factors into also just usage of library books. If it's just a book of average popularity, 
which of these setups is the best for libraries, which publisher you don't have to tell us like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Penguin Random House does it the best, but I'm just curious about that balance between the upfront costs, the frequency of renewals and, um, how that factors into weeding your collection. Does weeding the collection really even matter when you're talking Mm -hmm. about eBooks or do you just want an endless catalog of digital stuff since there's not a limit of shelf space? Um, there's no physical limitation at least that's, these are the, this is what I want to know, the intersection of all those factors. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, for an average seller, I think that's interesting. I, I was wondering if you meant average or median. I mean, I'm sorry to get statistically oh, nerdy Jeff. here. Are we going to do distinctions no one cares about? <laughs> well, if I care about it by definition, <laughs> someone cares about it. Now, not everyone cares about it. Because uh, I'm looking at Simon & Schuster's, which is just under list, so $20. Uh-huh. And we have to rebuy every 12 months. I would guess for your average title, you don't want to rebuy after 12 months. Most, I would guess most titles... Mm-hmm. That what, most titles don't sell, right? If that's the case in publishing, then I would guess in the libraries, after for most books after 12 months, nobody cares. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. So that's a pretty good deal. Now, for a Stephen King title, the PRH deal is probably pretty good because people are going to be reading the Stephen King, the Toni Morrison, you know, the evergreen kinds of writers that have a following forever. So you're paying a lot up front, but you don't have to worry about it. Um, I think the Harper Collins, which is rebuy every 26 checkouts it's a list price so it's predictable right you know exactly right. you check you, you have a fixed cost per checkout for that and so there's some um i don't know you know in running this business i know that even if you're not getting the best deal every time on something there's something nice to know about what your fixed cost really are oh yeah which can be which can be its own kind of peace of mind um so that's interesting too in a way it feels like the mcmillan deal is kind of the worst case which is it's very expensive and you have to decide whether to rebuy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather have to, yeah. I'd rather be expensive and not have to worry about it or cheap. And I've got to do the work of deciding if I want it again. Like, and McMillan I, seems to fall in the middle of that. Given, yeah, given all these factors, I also think it would be interesting to see a publisher do something with different tiers. You yes, know, like these yeah. are your Harry Potter eBooks. So here's the upfront price. Here's how often you have to renew something that's as popular as Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, here's your mid-list book club book that's going to be popular for two years. And then here is you know, like a, I don't know, book of essays that is going to have a smaller audience and how we're going to value those. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would love to see the spreadsheet <laughs> of how you figure that out inside a publisher um, to distinguish different titles and different ways that they could be offered for library lending or to see a library be able to choose you know, how they wanted to approach the management. Maybe you were cool with paying up front a higher ticket price for something you thought was going to be popular, like, but as a flash in the pan, you know, like yeah. 90 bucks for something that you're going to lend a whole lot for six months, but then 12 months at the end of the 12 months, you're like, okay, I don't need this again. So it was just 90 yeah. bucks one time. Um, that seems rough because I don't know, a lot of books aren't going to, I mean, if you think of it as terms of earn out, right? Like if the library thinks, you know, we'd like to spend a dollar per checkout or something mm-hmm. like that. 90 checkouts for your average title, I'm guessing is probably a lot. I guess that's what I'd like to yeah. know. Over the lifetime of an ebook, you know, pick um, the median best selling book from 2017. I'd love to know this. I, you know, also, $90 for an ebook from PRH for a library. How does that get figured into the royalties for that? Like, what does the oh, author yeah. see of that? Do they mm. see this typical 20%? Because that seems like. It seems like it wouldn't be that. It seems like it would be non uh, difficult, really, 
for a fairly you know popular title doesn't sell it. It may not even chart on the New York Times bestseller list to be bought by a thousand book uh, libraries, mm-hmm. and that's ninety grand right yeah. there. And do they, that's a good question. What is we... that? Do they get eighteen grand of that? That doesn't feel right to me. No. I haven't heard that. If that's true, I'd mm-hmm. like to know either way. Yeah, you know, we need a librarian on this show like once a month. <laughs> We need we here's no, I'm I'm only halfway kidding about this. You had Josh on. I listened to that episode, which is great. We need an indie bookseller. We need a librarian. We need an author, and we need an agent, like mm-hmm. that we can just go to. Like it's like agent day. It's like okay, here's all the questions we have. Maybe an editor slash agent, like an editor and a publisher slash agent. Oh, you know, I think they know a lot of the same things. Eric Smith. Who oh, I know we our... have them, Rebecca. I'm just saying. <laughs> What we need is a panel. We need around the horn, but for books. Yeah, right. That's right. right. Or, or we need like the live, we're going to live look in here with like some agent at the, <laughs> and Eric at his desk, like crying over a YA novel he just read. <laughs> uh, we love you, Eric. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, it would be fun though. I do have many questions. Yeah. You know, for thinking we had a light agenda, we're just cooking along here this morning. Well, I was going to say because the listener stuff is gold. I mean, this stuff mm-hmm. is really good. Uh, so thank you all so much to those librarians there. If, you gotta, if we've got anything of that wrong, you've got a context or a depth uh, stuff there. I'd, I'd really like to know. I guess um, Rebecca and I, in spitting out of that, we well, most Rebecca came up with it. I think she's right. Is like, what is the uh, what's the uh, expected average usage rate um, for one of those ebooks? Uh, would be would, maybe it's so wildly variable that that's a nonsensical question. I'd like to know that if that's true. Listener, we got some people that went to IKEA reading room. The, yes. That IKEA reading room, we had at least two. Um, maybe more. I'm, I'm sort of waiting through the email right there. So here's the, here was the, what the deal was. Um, so there was in, uh, golly, I just lost it. I'm sorry. One second. Everyone likes to hear me scrolling through email. It was just what one Ikea in one yes. place in go? England that was building a, I'm just going to talk. Yeah. Mitch, thank you. Email. There it is. Um, <laughs> they had put like, they'd built like a little reading nook and there were a bunch of copies of man Booker prize mm-hmm. finalists. And you could sign up for a time to go sit in the space and read. And you got to take copies of the books home. So you sign up, I mean, basically this Mitch wrote in and there's someone else in the insider slack wrote me too. I'm, I'm so sorry. I forgot who it was. Um, but you sign up for a time and there's four little reading alcoves per in the room, and so you sign up for an hour. And so this uh, Mitch said he went in. There were three other people there, a little smaller than he thought. It was more like a reading, I don't know cranny than a reading room. But a reading Billy bookcases lined the walls, baskets of blankets, peppermint tea, Ooh. and shelves of all the man Booker long list titles. Cozy up in a comfy armchair. You get the reading light all set up, and you take a look at the book on the shelves. And when your hour is up. You get to choose one of the hardcovers to take home for free. There you Perfect. go. Um, really enjoyed it. Sounds lovely. Yeah. And also people were like walking by looking at you. So you're kind of like a free window display. Yeah. When it so. came up on the insider slack, some people were like, is this in all the Ikeas? Yeah. Can I go do it? <laughs> hey, you know <laughs> like, what? Any room you know in Ikea is a reading room if you try hard this enough. Is, That's all I've true. got to you say. You know what? If, you, if you're listening to this and you happen to work at Ikea Corporate, yeah, I'm so sorry. tell them there's some demand that uh, you could set up reading rooms in all of your stores and nerds would find you. This is yes. if you build it, nerds will come. That, that's true. I, also, you know, you, you take your hardcover and your coffee that you bought for a dollar at the bistro, you go up and oh, settle into a pointing armchair. Roll, you've got a Ikea cinnamon rolls. We might have had those for breakfast yesterday. We were, I had to get a new lamp. So I had the Ikea cinnamon (laughs) rolls, which my my kids always find delightful. I'm Mm. just, this is just my aesthetic. I think Mitch took a couple of pictures, which I'm not going to, but it looks, it looks great. 
It looks really fun. Um, cool and, idea. And it, it gets people, it get us talking about IKEA, I tell you that much. Mm-hmm. All right. What's our last? I'm, I'm now spinning Something between, about the cookbook oh, cafe. Yeah, I, I don't even know cool. what this is. So apparently, I don't know if it's recently or not, but Austin at least has a recent dish, a uh, new public library, hmm. which we've seen, I've seen pictures of it. It looks great. Um, and the cook, they have there a cookbook bar and cafe in the library. Lovely. Which is a counter service eatery located in the Austin Central Library celebrating culinary themed publications available for guests to browse through the library. Guests can also enjoy craft beers, wines, and literary themed cocktails at the eatery in the library. You I, could get a tequila mockingbird. The, the, f- the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. And the future here is in Austin. Um, the cookbook bar and cafe menus is curated by Chef Drew Current of ELM Restaurant Group, pulls from recipes from the page of cookbooks created by revered chefs across the country particularly paying respect to South to the South and Mexico, incorporating farm-to-table ingredients whenever possible. The menu changes seasonally. I mean, the Cookbook Cafe also showcases their co- a special collection of over 500 cookbooks. I'm there. Let's go. I mean, Do you this take sounds a field trip? fantastic. It does. This is Caitlin it Patterson. Does. Thank you, Caitlin, for writing in. Um, I really want to go here. I want this to be Let's, my library. I don't know why there's not a thing every library can do immediately because of funding and time. That, all, the, all that's garbage. This is all Can we have, wait right until now. summer is over and then go on a field trip? The Austin's to a little toasty in the summer. The cookbook cafe. Yeah, I think maybe November would be nice. Yeah. February. February's Febu- great in Austin. February's good too. Yeah. That sounds great. Go check it out. There are 50 seats inside and 75 <laughs> seats outside. Check it out. <laughs> outside seating. Lovely. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you want to check it out, cookbookatx.com is the website for the cafe. I'm looking at it right now. I, I'm, I'm, it, it's so cool. It makes me angry. It re, I mean, I really don't like this. <laughs> Why do other people get things? Yeah. You don't get? Yeah. This is not fear of missing out. I'm not afraid. I'm just missing out. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> MO. This is MO. MO. I don't like that. All right. It's the, uh, that's worse, I think, knowing you're missing yeah, out. Well, yeah. confirmed missing out. Conf- <laughs> CMO. <laughs> uh, there we go. So there's that. Yeah. No, thank you, listeners. Yes. This is good stuff you, we wouldn't have gotten on. Listeners, you all have her. such interesting lives and good intel. Yeah. Um, let, do you want to do another sponsor and we'll get into library usage stats? Yeah, let's see. So yeah. what are we have? The Last Hours yes. is our last sponsor this week. It's by Minette Walter. When the Black Death enters England in 1348, no one knows what manner of sickness it is. Fear, fear grips the people as they come to believe that the plague is a punishment for wickedness. But Lady Anne of Devilish has her own ideas. With her brutal husband absent from the manor when news of the pestilence reaches her, she looks for more sensible ways to protect her people than daily confessions of sin. She decides to bring her serfs inside the safety of the moat that surrounds her manor house. I would like to move in with her. Mm. Then refuses entry to anyone else, even her husband. The people of Devilish are alive, but for how long? This is a vivid historical novel about the Black Plague and about the social upheaval that follows the plague. If you were a fan of Pillars of the Earth, this is going to be right up your alley. It's the first in a brand new series from best-selling author Minette Walters. The tagline is pretty great. For most, the Black Death is the end. For a brave few, it heralds a new beginning. Uh, so if you're into historical mm. fiction, 
wants something a little different, that's The Last Hours by Minette Walter. Pick it up wherever books are sold or click the link in our show notes. Okay. Library stats. Library stat time. So these, there's a little bit of a lag here because we're dealing with census numbers that always take a while to get. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, there have been some banana pants editorials about like maybe libraries aren't relevant anymore mm-hmm. and maybe Amazon should take everything over. Oh, God, so, we didn't cover that on this, did we? We didn't. No. But, like It had been taken down, I think, by the time we yeah, recorded the show that the week. Dumbest. It was the dumbest. <laughs> and I think I had a moment of like, I could put that on the agenda, but what sounds what, yeah. are we possibly Please. going to... This is, we're just doing it without talking about it. <laughs> it's this just, is. as Amanda would say, it's just fart noise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, but so um, numbers from 2015, which are the most recent numbers from census data available about library usage indicate, and these are from the Public Library Survey Report, uh, that in 2015... People visited public libraries in the U.S. more than a billion times. Mm. Yep. Uh, Including, let's see, nearly 311 million Americans lived within a public library service area in 2015, which is an increase from the 306 million who lived nearby in 2014. In 2015, there were 1.39 billion visits to public libraries or 4.8 visits per person, which that seems like a really good per capita library usage rate. Once a quarter on Mm -hmm. average. Yeah, on average, given that there are people who go every week and people who go never. That's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Well, and and what, what, you know, more than 60 million people that don't live within the public library service area. So if you... If you kind of take that out, that number goes mm-hmm. up by 20%, something like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Public libraries offered 4.7 million programs in 2015 that were attended by nearly 107 million people. That's 5 million more attendees than the previous mm. year. And they made 1.31 billion collection items available to patrons and provided access to over a quarter of a million internet computers. Really critical there because mm. as we've talked over the life of this show, public libraries do more than provide people with access to books. They provide people with access to information and the means of accessing the information, namely computers and the internet now. Um, and some of the like New York public libraries have offered, you know, like you could check out uh, a Wi-Fi hotspot for a month to use at your home. So really interesting opening up, I think, of considering what it is that libraries offer us and access. Uh, and the number of electronic materials available through public libraries, including audio, video, and ebooks, continued to grow. Ebooks especially saw significant growth, increasing from four one hundredths of an ebook per person in 2006 <laughs> to just over one ebook per person in 2015. So in those nine years, a, a growth of like you know, yeah, it's it's hard even many to times. know many times. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of math for a the, Saturday. The graph morning. here, there'll be a link in the show notes. I think the graph is easier to understand because they do mm-hmm. total collection materials per person by material types broken out. So in 2006, which is the earliest um, column of information we have here, there were about 3.13 materials per person in America's libraries. In 2015, that number had grown to 4.28. And the growth really is in ebooks, but also audio materials as well. The audio materials have gone, you know, they've basically doubled in the last three years. Um, but they, I, I'd like to know why ebooks, because really, if you're looking, and tell me if I've got this wrong, just the eyeball, in the last three years, so 2012 to 2015, a real kind of a parabolic expansion mm-hmm. in the number of ebooks available. 
through libraries. I don't know if libraries are spending more of their dollars on that and they're getting more basically materials per dollar spent. They're getting them, they're spending more on them. I don't really understand that. Um, conversely, print as a share, both in raw terms and as a share of the materials available has fallen. When, uh, mm-hmm. Let's see, in 2006, there are 2.79 print books per person, and that's fallen to 2.41. And the share has gone down from you know basically 80% of all materials in the library were books. And this looks more like you know, 60-ish mm-hmm. percent. Um, video materials have grown, but not you know barely doubling over the, the last 10 years. Now, I, does this... Again, I got a lot of questions because like these things like, um, I can't even think of the names, like Hoopla and what's the other one you can do videos from your library on? Like, oh, I don't know how all that stuff that works. Yeah. I can't think of it right now. Um, fascinating to know here, but more people are using it. Um, there's more available at 2015. These are three-year-olds, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, in three years, maybe we'll catch another one of these uh, yeah. random and- waves. You know, the top line here was like, our library still relevant? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, lots of usage there. Really interesting. If you want to dive into the numbers, we'll have the link in the show notes. Yeah, there's more. This is just the, we're just looking at the press release top sheet here. So there's a lot yeah. more in this uh, in this thing. So. so while we're talking about librarians, may I tell you just something completely delightful? Yes. <laughs> this week, or a couple, yeah, on August 6th, there was a piece published in Atlas Obscura called The Crack Squad of Librarians Who Track Down half forgotten books. And I was immediately like fastest click in the West. Um, it's about a group of New York public librarians led by Gwen Glazer, who happens to be a friend of the site. We've done some uh, yeah. like work with her. Um, they, the New York public library does their own recommendations lists for our read harder challenges every year. And so I know her to be a great and interesting and really smart person. Uh, she has gathered a group of librarians for the very first title quest hackathon uh, that they did a few weeks ago where they took a thread of help me find this book that their readers had left them on a post. Um, She had written a post called how to find a book. Um, And if you Google like how to find a book, you you end up at this post that she's written and the comments on the post are filled with people being like the the internet equivalent of like, I remember it came out a couple years ago (laughs) and it was blue and there was a girl on the cover. And Gwen Glazer was like, what if we tried to solve these mysteries and point and point these readers to the books that they seek. So she gathered librarians from many of the branches across the NYPL. They got together and she had some of them start at the earliest comments and work their way back. And other ones started at the newer comments and worked their way. So they were working their ways toward the middle and readers were looking for all kinds of things, like a story about a dragon that enlists a young girl as his apprentice and also happens to be a cheesemonger. Um, I don't know what that book is, but I want to now. Um, one about a kid named Worm, spelled with a U and not an O, who makes a computer game in his college dorm room. One about mistaken identity, love gone wrong torrid affairs and unhappy marriages set around the 1900s. And that one piqued another commenter's interest who said, I have no idea what the name of this book is, but if someone replies with the correct answer, please tell me because I'd like to read Mm. it. Um, The very first case that they cracked was for Mbolo Mbue's 2017 book, Behold the Dreamers. Uh, And there's just this lovely description of the, the room filled with a smattering of applause and enthusiastic dinging of the hotel bell. Someone made a hash mark 
on the dry erase board. <laughs> the staffers were in the zone, quietly murmuring to themselves. There are a lot of murder mysteries about very wealthy relatives, one person muttered, scrolling through a list. Serial killers, another one trailed <laughs> off. Then the room fell quiet until the next bell ring. Uh, so just, I think this is just a cool and amazing cool thing librarians are doing. And the nugget of goodness, like especially good goodness here is there's a mention in this piece that there's a database where you can search by book cover keywords which that why didn't we have this before rebecca i did not i don't know how long it's existed maybe we just didn't know about it i don't know how i've never heard of it it's bigbooksearch.com mm. so good job with seo there but i'm like i'm putting in you know like blue memoir in the search and it pops up memoirs that have blue in the title and you could do you could do so many things um i just this is what i'm going to do for the rest yeah. of the day you know can i i've got another hot tip of i don't know this has been around but i just discovered it recently and i find it extremely useful website it's this is off i'm off script here book series in order.com oh you, genius it's, i was i i don't know if i mentioned i mentioned to you i know i went on a peter mail rip and i was like trying mm-hmm. to read the books in order and amazon is the worst at that like you can you don't know which one came out and there's a bunch of different editions so like an actual publication date's hard to know if an author doesn't have a good wikipedia uh you know a bibliography there it's not to know but book series in order.com highly recommend it uh you can that's awesome it's really good uh so i didn't mean to step on that but i thought people know like know about that these are this is an, it's there. incredibly useful i'm just going to play around on bigbooksearch.com so yes. If you don't have a library or a good indie bookseller close by where you can go to do the like, it was blue and there was mm. a cat on the cover, you can you can play around with that. But um, my hat is also off to Gwen Glazer and the crack team of library mystery solvers at the New York Public Library. That was just a delight to read. Mm, okay, let's do. Well, we're gonna we, let's do the here. We got maybe twin heroes of the week. I don't know. We got sure. two feel good stories to end the show today. Uh, the first one is Books for School, which is a bookstore in Wisconsin. But where in Wisconsin is it? I'm not Madison. Madison, Wisconsin, home of the University of Wisconsin flagship university. You, uh, it's, a, it's basically a giant kids' bookstore, but it's not arranged like with like cutesy, you know, rainforest themes and all this stuff. It looks like a warehouse with a bunch of shelves, but their deal is they keep prices low and their inventory high because they want to get cheap books into the hands of kids, especially kids that, you know, may not, not otherwise be able to afford it. The, the bookstore has been around since the 1920s. They began as a supplier of trade books with a 35% discount on its cover prices. But it is now a 50,000-square-foot warehouse home to more than 2 million children's wow. books, including bilingual Spanish-English books. It's very important. Um, you can go in. It's not a wholesaler. You can go in with your family. You can go in for your bookstore or your mm-hmm. uh, library. You could go in for your school. You could go in for your school group. We can go over whatever. But um, Molly and Randy Fields uh, – sorry, me, Amy and Marty Fields – Purchased the family company, Continue Legacy. At that point, Marty had identified a need in the local and national industry beyond magazines, newspaper, children's books. We started looking to how we source books. We could keep our prices down. And they said a lot of people think we're a nonprofit because it's such a good mission and the prices are so good. A lot of local teachers go there. So the next time you're in Madison, um, it might be worth checking out. Very interesting and idea. 
yeah, you can also shop online. It's books for school, the number four, mm-hmm. if you would like to support them. All right. You want to take us home with our I last feel-good story? I do. Uh, 13-year-old Christian Waldron is aiming to collect 25,000 books. He has already collected 3,000 to donate to a summer literacy camp um, for the Sutina First Nation in Canada. Uh, He organized a book drive with his fellow students. Over a two-month period, they collected 3,000 books um, and have donated them through Reading Nation, which is a nonprofit that he set up with the help of his parents to go to students at the Sutina Summer Literacy Camp, uh, which is for Indigenous people in Canada. It's a two-week program for students aged 5 through 12. Um, Frontier College, which is a national literacy organization, offers the program and it's funded by Alberta Education. So just like the top line there, a 13-year-old collecting 3,000 books to donate to other people in his community um, and they're shooting for 25,000. Good for you, Christian Waldron. Yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes. You can find out more information about a help um, this particular... Yeah, you can donate out. and support that if you'd like to. All right, that's our show. That is our show. Uh, you can find this and the, the, the show notes of this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. We'd like, especially like to hear from those of you who can give us details, stats about usage rates of uh, ebooks in libraries and or how the money trickles back to authors from these. Um, particular kinds of deals. If I sell a thousand ebooks to American library systems of my midlist novel and PRH gets 90 bucks a pop, how much makes it back to me? I, that's, I guess that's the, the mm-hmm. crux of what I'd like to know. Um, so that's really interesting there as well. Rebecca, we'll talk sure. to you on a normal time. Yes. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. Talk to you guys later.